0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you lost Survivor and you're feeling down, David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and we'll show you how. You played yourself and got voted out. This is why Blank Lost. And This is why Blank Lost. Ooh, baby, this is why Blank Lost.
1: Welcome to this special postseason edition of Why Blank Loss. I'm David Bloomberg, and this is the episode where my co-host Jessica Lewis and I answer your questions, both from this past season and also looking ahead to Winners at War.
2: Yes. So thank you, everyone, for all of the questions that you submitted. Hopefully we delve into everything nice and deep for you. And also, I'm looking forward to season 40. I'm very excited about that. So let's look ahead, because I think we need to. Yes, well,
1: yeah. Yes, we have some looking behind to do first, but you know normally, of course, we go through and discuss how each player followed my rules, but this week it's all about the questions and we're going to answer as many as we can, though I apologize in advance if there are some we don't get to. Uh, But this will be our last Survivor podcast of the decade, and I believe the last overall Rob has a podcast Survivor episode this decade as well.
2: See, they saved the best for last, right?
1: That's right. That's right. Or we scheduled it that way. One of us.
2: No, 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 no. They just saved the best for last day. Oh, Mom.
1: okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, we, we're going to try to uh, keep this from being like, uh, you know, more than, well, I'm not even going to give a time because whatever time I give will wrong, uh, but mm. uh, let's just jump into it. Great. All right. So question number one comes from Jason, who from this cast do you want to see play again? And who do you think will play again? And also, this is similar to a question from South Jersey Pete, who asked, do you think we'll get a Nora part two?
2: Oh, you know, I have to say, I I might have the same person for the who do I want to see play again and who do I think will, even though this was this is kind of a toss up. I would love to see Elaine play again. And I think that Elaine has an incredible shot of playing again. But I also think we could we could see a Lauren as well. So, you know, I, I feel like that. That's a potential split right there. I'd also love to see Janet play again. So I guess there's three people (laughs) I would include in this answer. Do we get a Nora 2.0? Probably because we did get a Debbie 2.0, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So I feel like there's a very strong likelihood that we could get a Nora 2.0, which would be fun. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay.
2: (laughs) uh,
1: (laughs) We'll get into that more later. Um, I want to see Kelly play without all the Dan crap hanging over her. Mm, um, yeah. You know, I, I would like to see Elaine play again now that she would have to show her strategy. She can't get away with playing dumb a second time around.
2: I know. See, that's the unfortunate thing for someone like an Elaine. It's very similar to what David suffered mm-hmm. because once you see what their gameplay is, that's it. <laughs> you really can't but do I, that again.
1: And I'd like to see if she can do something about that, you know? Yeah. And um, I'd also like to see some players besides, the, you know, a couple that you mentioned, I'd like to see some players get another chance, uh, Molly, Chelsea and Jason. Uh, mm. But I, I doubt that will happen just because no. they were pre-merge and that so rarely happens. I suspect that we will get a return of Nora for the mention for the reason you mentioned. I, I do think we'll see Kelly again. And I think we'll see Missy and Elaine again.
2: You think Missy, too?
1: Yeah, because she does what the show wants her to do—big mm. moves. You know, yeah, that's but, what they want.
2: And I and I get that too, but I also feel like she comes with a lot of controversy. Well, so,
1: yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, I don't know. That's yeah. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll yeah.
2: see. I mean, that's one of those up in the air. Because I agree with you. I, Missy obviously plays the game very, very hard, and the big moves that that they all want to see that people love watching, but. She does come with a controversy. So yeah. that, that would be interesting to see if that's what ends up happening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You may be right. That may kill her chance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Question number two is from uh, Gareth Bate. I'd, I'm i taking your question.
2: <laughs> that's all right. Let me let me jump in there for you
1: that okay.
2: uh, this is Gareth Bate. As you said, I'd like to see Nora's game taken seriously. She's a wacky character, but she got to the end herself on her terms. What would she need to say to make her case and win? And is it impossible for her to win unless she faces an unlikable man?
1: Well, remember a moment ago I said, we'll get to that. Yeah, this is when we get to that. Mm, Because first, I have to disagree with Gareth. And I think I've disagreed with him on Twitter about this. uh, With the initial basis statement. Nora did not get to the end herself on her terms. She got taken to the end by people who knew they could easily beat her. Because she probably wouldn't get a single jury vote. And I don't think there was anything she could have said to win because she didn't have a case to make. I I mentioned on Why Tommy won that I knew she was a goner when the jury reacted to her in a way that showed they had dismissed her long ago. And, you know, she seems like a perfectly nice person, but the simple fact is she didn't understand the game of Survivor, and she may still not understand the game of Survivor. And until and unless that changes. She can't win no matter how many times she plays.
2: Yeah, I think the struggle for Nora really is that she killed it in the challenges. She won individual immunities and all of that is incredibly impressive. And yes, she's a character. She's, she's very firm in the belief of herself and how she presents herself to other people. She doesn't hide behind anything, which is great. But unfortunately... That doesn't win the game of Survivor. And so while she's fun to watch and while she's very entertaining and she's very strong and she's very competitive, it's the gameplay that she's actually missing. And I think she got locked in so early in that idea of we can beat Nora because she doesn't really understand what's happening in the game that that perception of her never went away. And I really do think that that's what got her to the end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. This question really is me asking you. And it is from uh, Patrick. Uh, I hope I don't ma- massacre this. Alog or A-log. Uh, Elaine mentioned that the seating arrangement at Tribal Council hurt her. Do you think they should just draw lots to determine seating arrangements?
2: Yes, they should. Because let me talk to you about the seating arrangements. I've already mentioned this on the podcast a few times, but there really is a reason for how people are seated. And you just have to look at certain divisions. And I could go to my particular rock drawing moment and how we were divided. And it was really all of the people who were on one side except Zeke were over on one end. And then everyone was over on the other side with Zeke and Jay. But it was very particular in how they did it. I mean, Jay had immunity. Zeke ended up, You know, he was the one everyone was voting for. So once that split happened and people that I wanted to talk to, they were on the other end. And this was before people jumped up at tribal council because I felt like I was stapled in my seat and I wasn't allowed to move. So I do think that the seating arrangements affect your ability to talk to people that you want to talk to and to actually see what's happening, because I didn't think about it until Elaine mentioned it, but I was never in the back row. I was always in the front row. So you don't see what's going on behind you. So I think everything Elaine said makes sense. But at the same time, I do understand why it's done that way, because obviously if it's going to make it more interesting. But now with everybody jumping up and talking to people anyway, it might not matter so much. They should just let people sit wherever.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think production is going to change this. Probably because not. They don't want a situation where a five foot person is seated behind a six foot six person and we can't see them even with a higher stool or stump,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know. And so people in the front row, they just need to be wary of what's going on around them at all times, which is interesting because that might almost make for worse TV because you could have the people in the front row like craning their neck backward the whole time while Jeff's trying to get their attention. I, I, I don't know. I it's not great, it's not necessarily fair, but I think it's one of the concessions that has to be made to this being a TV show.
2: Yeah, but I also know that like, I'm basically as tall as Adam, and Adam sat in the back a lot. I never sat in the back. It's not a height thing.
1: Hmm. Well, I think it's not only a height thing. Right. But, like, if you had Tommy sitting in front of uh, someone like Elaine, you wouldn't even be able to see Elaine.
2: Yeah, no, that's true. But, for someone who was frustrated with the seating arrangements, I appreciate this question. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much.
1: Yeah, I, I guess the you know final answer here is we wish they would, but they probably won't.
2: Exactly, yes. Our next question comes from, and I apologize as well, if I butcher anyone's names, Renee Das. Which castaway, if there is any, this season got eliminated despite following all or at least most of your
0: rules.
1: Yeah, it's difficult to say because some who we thought would probably follow them were eliminated so early and for some odd reasons. Mm-hmm. I would say probably Jason was number 1 in this regard and Chelsea was number 2.
2: Didn't Jason like reference the fact that he had actually studied your rules too? I feel like that was something that Jason talked about.
1: I don't know if he specifically said that, but when you match up some of the things he said they they run very similar mm, uh, mm-hmm. to the rules
2: and Chelsea uh, absolutely
1: yeah, so but they were eliminated for reasons that didn't necessarily you know as we discussed on the podcasts at the time relate to these situations I mean for Jason, part of it was he looked like a Stephen fishback, yeah. You know, so he looked like threatening one, so get rid of him.
2: Right. Weird. Well, mm-hmm. okay.
1: You know, there's not much you can do about that.
2: And dye your hair and shave your face. That's right. Much
1: it. Yeah. So. All right. Uh the next one next question's from Trav Survivor fan. Can you touch on why you think Elaine, Janet, and Jamal won the SIA prize?
2: Because they are all wonderful people. <laughs> That's basically what I think that boils down to i know that in the past sia has been very animal conscious and people who have been concerned about the animals is something that she's focused on which is a great reason to focus on anyone but i do think that elaine and janet and jamal really touched upon social issues in a way that this season really seemed heavy in there was a lot of uh issues that I feel like has kind of been shied away from with production and I feel like this particular season they hit a lot of those things head on I mean Janet obviously we saw her willingness to get behind the women of the season and really approach a very difficult situation in a way that nobody else seemed to be willing to approach it and I think Jamal supported her greatly when he was in tribal council talking about the issue with Dan and the unwanted touching. And I think that Jamal also touched on other issues too, uh, racial issues, things that he really was a great voice, I think, for the season. And I think Elaine represented just a, a group of people who were very, just good people. I know that sounds simple, but Elaine was, clearly very well liked from the start. And we saw that in the first episode and she resonated so much with the viewers of just someone who was a good person all around and someone that you just can feel good rooting for. And I think that's what Sia probably saw in all of them.
1: Yeah. Um, you mentioned the animal rights stuff and some of the other things, but I think it goes back to what you just said about Elaine being well liked because I just rewatched Korang. wrong in little more than a day, which was the first season that Sia gave away money. And when she interrupted Jeff and got on stage, she specifically mentioned that Sprint used to have a fan favorite award, but since they didn't, she was doing it instead. Mm -hmm. And so while at first it seemed like it was just for Ty saving Mark, the chicken, I don't think it was necessarily ever her intent to focus it solely on animal issues. So, You know, I know I've seen online people are surprised, like, oh, well, it was animals. What is it now? Well, she said she wanted to give it to Keith Nail the season before, but she was too scared to get up on stage and do it. Mm. So I think it's just the Sia favorite award instead of the fan favorite award. If she likes you, she gives you money.
2: Right. Where was she my season?
1: Well, you know, she may like someone for saving a chicken. She may like them, you know, last year she gave Aurora money for going through the foster care system.
2: Yeah. And that's gave true. Rick
1: money just for being Rick, mm-hmm. you know, and that's happened in, uh, you know, previous seasons as well. So I, I think it's just, it's the fan favorite award where only one fan matters.
2: Yeah. And it's one fan that has the ability to pay them lots of money.
0: So right.
2: <laughs> good for them. Right. Right. Okay, this comes from the real Dylan, not the fake Dylan. The real That's Dylan. Right. Mm-hmm. When Dean presented his hardware, Tommy said all he did was collect it. He didn't use it. Dean should have said something like, "You couldn't use it because I had it. I prevented you from making a big move." What do you think? Also, Brooks Stotts asks, could Dean have had, or could Dean have said anything differently or more to get the win in the end? And also, Sarah Sheridan wants to add. How could Dean have used the idol he found on Island of the Idols for strategic effect, rather than just showing it at Final Tribal Council?
1: Yeah, I I don't think there was much of anything Dean could have said by the time he got the Final Tribal Council, because even he admitted that he had put himself at a disadvantage through his social gameplay or lack thereof. In some cases, if he had said he prevented Tommy from using the hardware to be, to make a big move, Tommy would probably have just shot back and said, oh, I need to make a big move using some trinket. And, you know, I, I think the same would be true if Dean had tried to use it in some other way. I think it was just too little too late by that point. And there wasn't really anything he could have done with that idol or, you know, with any arguments about it.
2: Well, he potentially, I mean, because we were at five, right? When he had that mm-hmm. idol and we had, he had immunity. So he could have, saved someone if you really wanted to at five.
1: Yeah, but who's he saving? I mean, everybody knew who the vote was going against. I mean, he could have given the idol or played the idol on Tommy and said, "Okay, Tommy, I'm playing this on you. But then all the votes went to Janet anyway. Right. So it would have been a a useless gesture, in my opinion.
2: Well, he could have saved Janet, gotten rid of Tommy.
1: He could have, and then he'd have lost (laughs) to Janet instead.
2: Right. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the other thing, too, is maybe give it to Tommy. Be like, hey, Tommy, look what I found. The thing that you were looking for. I don't know.
1: I mean, okay. that probably that probably would have been the best possible thing to just stand up and say, hey, by the way, Tommy was looking for this. He couldn't find it. I did. So here you go, Tommy. I'm going to play it on you. Right. But it's still, I mean. At the end, Tommy would have still just argued, yeah, thanks for that. I still didn't need it.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I don't know if it would have helped him really that much, but maybe it would have shined a little different light on it.
1: Yeah, maybe. All right. Uh, Henry Demaria asks, where would you put Tommy's game in comparison with other winners?
2: I really love Tommy's game because it's old school Survivor. And I miss old school Survivor. I do really appreciate the big moves and the people utilizing idols correctly and doing all of these things. Like It's fun to watch, but I miss just that individual who's able to read the room, who's able to make connections and really utilize people in a way to help him get to the end and be so well-liked getting there. It's really an old-school Survivor kind of gameplay that I love. And so I would rank his high in my regard, just because I miss that old school survivor game. Um, I think that some people might think it was kind of a boring game because he didn't have those big moves. And someone on Twitter was like, Hey, just some average guy that won survivor. I don't agree with that, but I understand how someone could see it that way because it's not someone that was flashy. But for me, I rank him up there very high because I am impressed with the social ability that he utilized in the game to get him through the game and obviously win the game.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, personally, I'm not a fan of rankings, but I'd say he played a very good game that went along well with my rules. He made all the right little moves and planned things out quite well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, without sitting down and literally looking at all the other winners, I'd probably put him easily in the top third. but yeah i it bothers me when people criticize and say, "Oh, well, his game was boring. Well, guess what? He wasn't there to entertain you. Yes, Survivor is an entertainment product. yes, the players are not there to entertain you. They are there to win a million dollars.
2: thank you yes.
1: so it would be like if you were watching the Olympics, and you know the the fastest guy in the sprint came on afterwards and did an interview and said, Um, yep, uh." I, I like to run fast.
2: right? And that was the whole thing. He was, interview. Doing, right, he was okay. doing what he was supposed to do.
1: Right. You know what? He wasn't at the Olympics for his communication skills. He was at the Olympics because he could run fast. Yeah. And, you know, same with any competitive event. So it does bother me when I see people saying that because that's, that's not what you're there for. And actually, I'll, I'll hit on that again later, I think, in another question.
2: Well, no, and I I appreciate that because I think that was something that um, I struggled with in my season is that there was this I wasn't entertaining enough, but I was out there to win a million dollars. That was what I wanted to do, and so I appreciate Tommy's ability to pull it off as well as he did because he went out there with that goal, and that's what he did. It's not about entertaining; it's about winning, and he won Survivor, and he's got a million bucks in his pocket. Well, six hundred and like twenty three thousand or something. So. You know.
1: Yeah, it's up to the producers to make it entertaining. Right. And unfortunately, they try to do that with game twists. But whoever wins, they need to make it entertaining.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This comes from Matthew Musia, maybe? I hope so. (laughs) Tommy seemed to play a game similar to Gavin from last season and deem similar to Underwood. Yet Tommy was awarded the win and Gavin wasn't. Why do you think that
1: is? Uh, bluntly, because the majority of the jury on Edge of Extinction was biased and had given Chris instructions on how to win. <laughs> That's
2: amazing. Um,
1: I mean, it's not like we didn't spend four hours, you know, talking about that. Last I season.
2: know, I know. Um, and, poor and I'm Chris. not insulting
1: the question. I'm, I'm just saying this is not news that I feel this way. No, and um, it's true. It's
2: true. I mean, it, yeah. Chris, I feel bad for Chris because I did happen to run into him hearts of reality. And he was, he had clearly listened.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I know he had listened because I he know. Had, uh, when he, when he did his, uh, one of his interviews with, uh, with, uh, Rob, he said something like, Oh man, I got the full Bloomberg or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He did. Um, but,
2: yeah, that was edge, edge of extinction's fault. Not his fault. Yeah.
1: Now, I mean, there is also, I mean, well, it's not his fault, but it is the jury's fault in my opinion and the produ- production's fault. Because, you know, beyond that, that jury seemed to value the whole big moves aspect of the game, Mm -hmm. while this season's jury valued actually, you know, playing the game for the whole time. Yeah. Uh, It's hard to imagine that. But yeah, that is what and it really was similar because Dean woke up late in the game and made some flashy moves and got the trinkets Mm -hmm. and. You know, it, the comparison is kind of uncanny. And so it really was heartening that Tommy won instead of Dean. Nothing against Dean, but Tommy played the whole game.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. So. At least Dean didn't find something in his bag that production gave him to right. use at like five. Yes. Like an idol. I don't know. Yeah. Crazy.
1: All right. Uh, next question from Giovanni Orlana. We'll go with that. I like it. Yeah. With the fire making challenge at four, should we go back to a final two so nobody can idle their way to the end and has to outwit someone to win?
2: Yes. <laughs> I miss the final two. I really do. I I appreciate this idea of fire making. And oh, you're I being do being too
1: nice. Hmm? Being too nice.
2: Well, no, no. I'm explaining, though. Oh, okay. But it's frustrating for me in a couple of ways and i know we talked about this a lot the first time it was introduced i at least now everybody knows it's coming which is Mm -hmm. nice because the first time they did it nobody knew it was coming and i think that's unfair but all it's done is basically taken away people's ability to have to utilize like social capital to win the game or to get themselves to the final three whereas now like someone like janet Someone like Janet, who everybody loved, everybody really liked a lot. One of the biggest fears they had about Janet was her ability to make fire. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
2: you know, that I think is kind of ridiculous, considering you really need to make fire when you're out there on the island. People should know how to make fire and it should be a thing. And you have people now that are purposefully not making fire because they want to be able to say, I can't beat anyone in a fire making challenge. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I think it takes away the survival component of it and makes people focus on something that I don't think they should focus on. And it it really ends up negatively affecting, excuse me, the people's ability to rely on the, the social game that they've built up and, and the people that they've created relationships with and the people who should really be in the final three or the final two are now just getting taken out at the final four.
1: Yeah, I think this suggestion would fix the wrong aspect of the game. I don't know that we should go back to final two. Maybe, maybe we should once in a while, but we should certainly eliminate fire. Mm-hmm. You know, we have now seen every possible permutation of fire making. There's nothing more to be seen here. Move along. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, while we're at it, get rid of idols that go to final five. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we need to not try to fix something else in response to what's broken. I think we need to fix what is broken.
2: (laughs) I like that. That's good. Yeah, I agree. Okay. All right. The next question comes from Matthew Simmons, who's one of my favorite people, just so Mm. anyone listening knows. I love Matthew. So, hello, Matthew. Thank you for the question.
1: Does that mean I have to agree with Matthew? Whatever yes. The, uh, yes, you okay.
2: do. <laughs> Be very good to Matthew. So where does Tommy's social game rank compared to other social winners like Sarah, Adam, Natalie, times two, Michelle, Kim, Sandra, etc.?
1: Well, earlier I mentioned I don't really like ranking, but here we are again. Um, <laughs> the, the problem is that production really doesn't know how to show us social games. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned earlier that I just rewatched Wrong. And even going in, knowing that Michelle was going to win, it was still difficult to find a ton of direct evidence of her social game beyond people talking about it. Mm. And, and the same was true of Tommy. So it's really difficult to compare. And I'm sorry, Matthew, I really can't rank them for that reason, because we're operating on such limited information. It's like, who talks more about how good someone's social game is rather than seeing it in action?
2: Yeah. And um, yeah.
1: I, I, I was messaging with New Zealand Survivor winner Lisa on this topic. And she mentioned that one of the things she realized was just how much of the social game you can't film, especially if you're doing it right. And that is, if you're doing the social game right. She said it's a million little looks, reactions, position changes, and what you don't do or engage with as much as what you do do. And she could tell that production was frustrated. They couldn't capture it. And a producer even said to her that she would end up looking like an idiot on TV if she didn't wait to have important conversations until the camera crew was there. But she responded that her game was more important than their coverage. And this gets back to, you know, this gets back to what we were talking about earlier, because that's the key to this type of the game. And it's also a reminder that producers may want big moves, but each player has to do what's right for them. Yes.
2: Yep. And I would agree with that wholeheartedly because I had very similar conversations with uh, production just regarding what I was doing and how I was a little more quiet and seemed to be paying attention more and watching more as opposed to really like delving in and trying to make a big scene. Uh So I get that. I totally understand how it's difficult because you really do need to spend a lot of time paying attention and working through computations in your head and relationships and how those relationships will negatively affect you or help you down the road. And that is very difficult to show for certain. And I think a lot of the individuals that he's included here had a different approach. I mean, you look at someone like Sandra. Sandra is kind of in your face and not necessarily I'm gonna use a term likable, even though that's she doesn't you know what I mean. Like she's no, absolutely. she's absolutely she's not looking for people to like her. She but she's very honest in her opinions and what she thinks, but that's her social strategy. Whereas someone like Kim, everybody loved Kim. You know, someone like Tommy,
0: mm-hmm.
2: he was seven people's number one. So it all depends on what best fits into your own like social idea of how you want to play this game and how do you want people to perceive you? And so, yeah, it's a very difficult thing to really show. Now, someone like Sandra's a little more flashy, obviously, because she's a little more in your face. Someone like Tommy is more laid back and really focusing on individual connections and one-on-one relationships. That's more difficult to show. So, yeah, it's hard. It's definitely hard to capture that, but it's so important to win the game.
1: Right, right. And I just think the producers need to learn better how to capture.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that's their job. They've been doing this for 20 years now. Right. So, right. All right. Uh, next question is from Larry Miller. Is there a gender bias in these recent juries because women such as Chrissy, Laurel, Angelina, Julie, and Nora, I keep wanting to say Angelina Jolie when I say Angelina, Julie <laughs> um, didn't deserve the win based at, quote deserve. Uh, the win based on how they played or who they are as people in the game?
2: This is tough because I know that there is definitely a um, unfair represented group of people, namely women who are, uh, you know, not winning survivor, which is unfortunate. And I think that all of these women who are included here are women that deserve to be recognized for their gameplay because they played incredible games. They played well, okay, listen you. I'm gonna get there, okay? All right. I'm gonna get there. Nora
1: was in the list.
2: I know. They played different games. But again, I do have to give Nora props for she won three individual immunities. That's pretty impressive. You know, and and she did have a presence about her. Now Granted, it was not, you know, a Chrissy type of game where, you know, Chrissy won four individual immunities and was really kind of running the the show, you know, so Mm -hmm. much different games, but both games that were represented well, I think, at least on screen. So I don't know if it's a matter of, I don't really know, they all deserve, you know, I mean, if we're going to use the term deserve, do they deserve to win? maybe for different reasons, some more than others for sure, all of them were very impressive. So I don't know why women are not getting voted for, why women are getting minimal votes at this point. I mean, I think out of what it was the last 52 votes, only two went to a woman, I think is what the number is, which that's pretty sad because I do think that these women are deserving of getting some type of recognition for the game that they played. But I also wonder if part of this has to do with the current change in the game, this whole fire-making thing that we talked about before. Um, Chrissy, I'll go back to her because I I think her season was very representative of the problem with having fire-making put into the game. You know, you had someone who Everyone was trying very hard to vote out. He kept finding idols, Ben. And I'm not discounting Ben's gameplay, but he kept finding idols. And fire making is what, you know, really kept him there, obviously. And he ended up winning because he found idols and he made fire. Whereas Chrissy was winning immunity challenges and creating relationships and, and forming bonds with people. And having a social game that Ben didn't have, but she didn't win. And Ben did because of the big moves. So. I guess it's really dependent upon what does a jury want to see. And this particular season, the jury didn't really care about big moves so much as they cared about social gameplay. So I, you know, it's tough. It's really, really hard. I, maybe women are less recognized for the same type of game that maybe they're playing. Like a man is playing. I don't know. I don't, I'm not really sure.
1: Well, if anything, this season, I think it proved, that uh, the women were seen as two big threats. I mean, well, that's lost true. El- Elaine, Janet, and uh, Lauren. Boom, yes. boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And they were the three big threats to win. Right. So, if anything, the women are doing too well. See, that's the problem. That's um, true. It's yeah. I mean, I'm I'm saying that half jokingly, but in this particular season, that actually was the case. As for the others, I mean, it's more difficult for me to answer this, but. I don't think these necessarily displayed gender biases. I've already given my thoughts on Nora and those have nothing to do with her gender. Uh, Angelina and Julie both put themselves into difficult situations with the eventual jurors and basically ensured they were not going to win. So for all three of them, Nora, Angelina, Julie, they were brought along because of how they were expected to do in front of the jury. Mm -hmm. So they could have been men. They could have been women, they weren't going to win a jury over. So that's why they were brought along. Uh, Laurel was seen by pretty much everyone there as being too indecisive and not willing to make a move, though, of course, I had differing opinions on that, as people may remember. So if this applied to anyone, I would go back to Chrissy. But that's a tough call, too, because the situation there was basically that people said, kept. I mean, they kept saying Ben will win if he gets to the end. And then he got to the end. And to me, that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy situation. You know, and we've Hmm. seen that with other people, too, where it's like, oh, that person. You know, we wonder. We sit at home and we go, why do they keep saying that person is a threat? And the only thing we can come up with is, oh, because they've been saying that person's a threat for so long that in their minds, that person is a threat.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And and I think, you know, the thing with Ben was. They wanted to get him out because he was going to win if he got to the end. And then he got to the end. Well, as a juror, how can you say we tried to get him out because he was going to win? And then not vote for him.
2: And that's true. Maybe they should stop saying who's a threat to win when they're in final travel council or just in well, travel yeah. council in front of the jury.
1: <laughs> I mean, they kept doing that in your season, too. When David yeah. was there, they mm-hmm. kept talking about David's going to win if he makes it. David's going to win. And yes. if they hadn't gotten him out, you know, it, uh, near the end there, he would have.
2: Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of crazy. So. All righty. Well, let's see. John John asks, How would you rank the winners of 2019, including the two seasons of U.S. Survivor, the winner of South African Survivor, and the winner of Australian Survivor?
1: Oh, good. Another ranking question.
2: Um. <laughs> you love these.
1: I do. Okay. First, I want to mention that this is obviously a spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen the two international seasons. So if you're one of those people, hurry up and skip ahead a minute or two.
2: Does that mean I get to plug my ears and go la 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 la?
1: Well, not. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're <laughs> <straight>. um,
2: <laughs> That's okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the winners in question are Chris, Tommy, Rob in South Africa, and Pia in Australia. It's hard to not put Rob first because he basically set himself up as cult leader and had everyone doing his bidding. Um, Now, some of his followers weren't the brightest bulbs when it came to their play, but he still led them down the path to his win. I wasn't thrilled with the way he behaved sometimes, but he got the job done. Uh, Pia played a very good game as the smiling assassin, and I have to give her a lot of credit. But again, it's difficult to weigh one social game against another. So let's say Rob is first, pia and tommy will say tied for second and chris is last for reasons we have made clear uh over multiple hours of podcasting last season. um but again this is my interpretation.
2: and again he hates ranking so i mean clearly yes. right.
1: I do. <laughs> but you know there's only four of them so
2: I know you're very detailed and I, in and your ranking.
1: And I made two of them tied. So That's true. That's and, true. And one was obviously always going to be last. So, you know, I could have made the other three tied. That would have really been a ranking. Here are the top three. And then there's Chris.
2: <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's so funny. All right. I'm not going to get All involved right. in that because I think what you just did was great.
1: Okay. All right. So then we'll move on to the next question. We've gotten to the inevitable point in this podcast where we have several Dan-related questions. So now would really be the time where you want to plug your ears and go la, 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 la. I know, right? Um, Here we go. Yes. Okay. J.W. Francesca asks, how did Dan being removed affect the game? And what did you think about the process? Jason similarly asks, if Dan hadn't been removed, how would it have affected Dean's game? Could it have, could it have helped him get to the end with Dan and Nora to win? And so. There's your there's your lovely Dan question. Well, the first couple.
2: I know. So, all right. As everyone already knows, this was a very difficult topic for us to talk through, but I think we talked through it quite well. As far as him being removed and how it affected the game, I think it greatly affected the game because we have to remember we were at six, right? So mm-hmm. you're at six. There's a lot of rules and things that come with getting down to five, and that's that idol that Janet had, right? So, it's going to affect that. It's also going to affect the gameplay that Dean expected to do and that was his fake legacy advantage that he had and he was going to try to play that at 6. Now I know he tried to make a show of it at 5, but still that was something that we would have seen the potential of Janet doing something with her idol sooner or the uh, I think even before that time didn't didn't Dean have the Title nullifier as well.
1: Yes. So if Dean, if there had been a final six, Dean would have had to guess which tribal council Janet was going to use it in. Now, maybe he wouldn't have had to guess all that much because Tommy might've told him, but at least there would have had to be actions taken.
0: Right.
2: So there's, there's a lot of things that were affected by the taking him out at six. So there's certainly some issues there. Um, I do think that there could have been things that uh, could have been handled differently. I mean, a lot of discussion has been whether or not Dan should have been removed sooner and um, you know, and whether or not they missed an opportunity to do so sooner when this was first brought to light. So it potentially a more in-depth conversation should have happened when this was brought to the attention of production. Uh, there's been some feedback that we've, learned from the players that the discussion that was had was not as clear as CBS has presented it to be. So there was some confusion or even question as to what they were even talking about. And I think that perhaps if that was more clear sooner on, you know, maybe this would have never transpired, have been handled the way that it was. So, yes, it definitely affected the process uh, and could have been handled differently. And if Dan hadn't been removed, I do think that that would have definitely affected Dean's game because not only was Dean close to Dan and wanting to sit next to him, Janet was also interested in sitting next to Dan. So I don't know what effect it would have had on Janet's ability to potentially go to the end and the sharing of information that would have occurred because Janet ended up going to Tommy with the information. I know that Tommy already kind of knew that she had an idol, but she shared more with Tommy about I'm going to have the votes put on me. I'm going to play my idol. So there was a lot of discussions that she had with Tommy where maybe she would have been having those with Dan instead. And Dan maybe wouldn't have told everybody like Tommy did. So there's a lot of what ifs here. And I do think that, unfortunately, we're never going to know because that's not what happened. Dan was removed. And I do think, though, unfortunately, it affected greatly the outcome of the game.
1: Yeah, this is one of those times where I wish that a TV show, you know, or life was like a choose your own adventure book,
0: mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where you
1: could go, oh, well, what would have happened if we had done it this way? Unfortunately, we we can't do that. I, I think it's probably pretty clear by now that I thought the process was terrible. Dan should have been removed at the merge because of his actions. and if that had happened, it would have had less impact on the game than coming as late as it did for all the reasons that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and now I, I, you know, this whole situation just still leaves me a bit speechless. Um, I do wish we could have seen Dean play his fake legacy advantage. That would have been fun. So as with the rest of the season, Dan robbed us of fun. um, But, you know, like you said, it's hypothetical. We don't know what else might have changed. Mm -hmm. There would have been one more immunity challenge. We don't know what it would have involved or who could have won it. There would have been another reward that could have put different people together in the same place to talk. We just don't know. There is no way of knowing. Do I think that Dean could have somehow come away with the win? It's not beyond the realm of possibility. Right. But. At that point in the game, Tommy had things pretty well on lock. So, um, you know i I still think Tommy would have probably won, but that could also just be hindsight bias.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, there we are.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, leaving us speechless again. So. <laughs> it
2: is all right. So this comes from Chad Shepard. One of the criticisms after the merge episode was no men on the show standing up on the issue. But Janet tweeted, Tommy did, but that it wasn't shown. Why wouldn't they show the winner in this positive light? Give us an additional person to root for, right?
1: Yeah, this is a damn good question and one that I've been pondering well for weeks. I even mentioned it on the podcast because it made no sense. The only thing I can think of, and I believe someone else mentioned this to me, so it's not my original idea, and I, I may have mentioned it on Why Tommy Won, I can't remember, is that they were editing for the episode and not for the overall story arc there. They wanted to show Janet as being completely alone because that's more emotional and dramatic. That's the only thing that makes sense.
2: Mm. But it's silly.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean,
2: We all rooted for Janet, obviously, because she was she was certainly standing up for what was right. But it would have been Mm -hmm. great, too, to be like, well, we can root for Tommy, too. It's not like we have to pick one. We can root for both. We can be like, yes, they were both standing up for what was right. We don't need to pick.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe they thought it was it would make it so obvious that Tommy was going to win. But it was that obvious anyway. Yeah. And we got we got the predictions right. If we were getting them right.
2: I know, you know. That's, you know, it's a sad, sad day in production when, like, we got the last five, right?
1: Five. We got the last eight.
2: Was it eight? I can't even yeah. remember. I, the you final know, five
1: so- we knocked off exactly. That's and then true. three before that.
2: There were so many, I forgot.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: All right. Yeah. <sighs> I think that's, yeah, okay. they, it would have been nice to have Tommy to report to. But yes. who knows
1: when? All right. Uh, so next question from Larry Miller: Is this the worst year in U.S. Survivor history?
2: Seriously, come on, <laughs> Larry Miller. I appreciate the question, but um, I'm going to go with. It's been difficult. It's certainly been tough. Uh, I don't think. I don't think I I've ever.
1: Think of, I can't ahead. think of a worse one.
2: Well, here's the thing. I can think of seasons that. I really despised because it was just an awful like season. Like the idea was bad, the the cast was bad, the just things about it like are very unmemorable. You know, just like overall, you are like, what was that all about? You know, kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas this season had a lot of really great people on it. There was uh, really incredible stories that we learned, uh, social issues that were addressed. So there was a lot of things that make it very memorable, but it makes it also very sad at the same time. And I think that that's what I struggle with because I feel bad for a lot of the people who are on this season because unfortunately they're not going to be remembered for who they were on on this show. You know, the type of person that they were, it's going to be overshadowed by this issue that was a great one. To address and it was something that really started a wonderful conversation that I think needs not needed to be had but was good that yeah. it was had because of the current world that we live in and it's something it's a topic that we're talking about a lot so I don't think like I don't want to say it's the, the worst year in survivor history I mean and I guess we're also talking about Edge of Extinction which we get to revisit yes. I'm real excited about that so mm-hmm. And that's an example of bad production. <laughs> you know, like that's a bad choice by CBS, the edge of edge of extinction. So I could be I can be more like frustrated with CBS because they're doing edge of extinction again and that was terrible and now we have to relive it. I don't want to relive what we relived or what we lived, I should say. Yeah. For this particular season, because this wasn't necessarily all on production. Uh, but yeah. So it's been tough. I'll say it's been a, it's been a tough survivor year for sure. I mean, I think this is the first time ever in my watching the season where or watching a season of Survivor where I was literally saying I'm 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 done. Like I can't eat. I don't want to watch it. Like I was disgusted. You know, it's like I've never had that type of that type of response to the show.
1: Yeah. Uh, Like I said, I mean, I can't remember a year, so two seasons worth, as bad with all the things that have happened. Yeah. If, you know, someone else can, uh, fine, tweet at me. But I I can't. So.
2: Thanks, Larry Miller.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think Larry has another question here.
2: I think he does. Okay. Larry Miller, was the casting great since Lynn didn't cast this season?
1: It's hard to call this casting great when Dan was on the season. Um, but yeah, I do think the casting was overall better and we got a wider variety of people. And yes, I do think that's because Lynn wasn't involved. From what I heard, and obviously I wasn't there, uh, she seemed to favor the hot person she found in the bar rather than true fans. And this season certainly had more true fans of varying ages. Um, You know, a varying uh, looking good in a bathing suit, you know, just that sort of situation. It wasn't as important as perhaps, well, not in a bathing suit, in their underwear, because heaven forbid we give them bathing suits anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, um, you know, just because you're a true fan doesn't mean you're a game bot and you can have a season with a lot of twists and turns. And I don't mean the twists the producers put in. Without including a whole bunch of people who don't know what the heck they're doing because they were recruits that Lynn picked up at a bar. So, you know, that's, you know, that's what I heard. That that was the reason. And if that's true, then it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. And I do think other than Dan, this was a good sign. And at the beginning of the season, we were all very excited. As a matter of fact, what we were saying was, why did they have to put Rob and Sandra on to steal time away from this cast that looked so awesome? And yeah. then by the end of it, we were like, put more Rob and Sandra on.
2: <laughs> I do think that this cast was very diverse for a lot of great reasons. So the, the casting was really uh, was really great, I do think for the most part this season. And I, I have heard stories from Past survivors, how they were discovered in you know particular burrito joints by <laughs> Lynn. Uh, I mean, it happens. You know, sometimes you see someone you think they're going to be great on a TV show because they look good. But I prefer the super fans. I really do. I prefer people who understand Survivor as a game and want to play Survivor. I really appreciate that a lot more. So I think that overall, we. We saw a lot more people this season who wanted to play. And I was excited about that. So I think that's a good yeah. thing.
1: We're 20 years in. We shouldn't be having anyone on the show who doesn't understand the show.
2: I know. It's true.
1: All right. Uh, Trav asks, what is the best moment of the season for you both? And besides the obvious, what's the worst?
2: Ugh. This is tough. This well, is very tough. Well, it's rankings
1: again. See? Rankings.
2: I know. And you want to know something, I feel like I feel like the best moment for the season, and this might sound strange for some people, but I really loved the fact that there was like there was no like marooning with Jeff. It was kind of like you're all just there and they all had to kind of figure it out. I feel like that was kind of fun because it was different. And instead of him explaining what the season was. They were trying to figure it out themselves, which I think was a nice switch up because no one really knew what Island of the Idols meant. And they didn't have that opportunity to be told by Jeff, well, this is what the season is all about. I love Jeff. I think Jeff is great. But it created a different type of atmosphere. And I, that was fun. I appreciated that.
1: Uh, yeah, I'd say the best moment was Tommy winning the season named Island of the Idols without ever having visited or getting any <laughs> idle or advantage. That um, is
2: true. That is You true. know,
1: I, because it just reinforced our whole thing about little moves versus big moves. Uh, you know, the worst, which uh, you didn't answer uh, beyond the obvious was players deciding to me, players deciding to take goats along, quote unquote goats along from almost the beginning of the game, rather yeah. than voting out people who didn't know what they were doing. If they don't know what they're doing, vote them out. If you don't like them, vote them out. You can't be in tribal council number two and say, I'm going to drag that person 36 more days.
2: I agree. I do think that that's true. And maybe I was going to answer that question. I just didn't get there yet. But I like your answer.
1: I know. Okay, good. There you go.
2: That's that's a perfect answer. (laughs) All right. Now we're going to go to Jason's question. How do you think things would have gone if there had been a regular tribal council instead of the split one? That's a good question.
1: Yeah, it's hard to say. And again, we go back to the choose your own adventure hypothetical. Mm -hmm. But I personally, I think either Missy or Aaron would still have been voted out because we discussed at the time and leading up to it. They were playing way too hard, way too fast, and we knew it would catch up to them. And with neither of them winning immunity, I think one of them would have been gone anyway. And then the other probably would have followed shortly.
2: Yeah, but that's still, we wouldn't have lost both of them back to back like that. I mean, it would have been back to back maybe, but just three days later, you know, instead of like, hey, he's out now. She's out.
1: Yeah, I don't think it would have been a game changer.
2: Probably not.
1: So, All right. Uh, William McQuaid asks, a lot of people have talked about how Lauren and Tommy played very similar games. But Lauren was viewed very much as the bigger threat by Nora and presumably others based on interviews we've heard. Do you think that was because Lauren was playing up her own game while she was on the island? And if you do think that, uh, do you think that she felt that she had to do that in order to be able to stand a chance against Tommy at the end, given that historically men tend to be given more credit than women in pairs that played strong strategic games?
2: Uh, I think Lauren's just a kick-ass woman who understood how to play this game. I mean, really. She, from the start, had a great idea of how she wanted to play this game. She was really great in her initial interviews, explaining her love of Survivor, how she had studied the game, and really had a, a strong presence about her walking into this game. But she knew how to make people like her. And not come across as threatening in the way that she was doing it. And I think the fact that Nora saw her as like her number one and her best friend is is really a compliment to how great socially she was playing. And now I know it broke Lauren's heart because she wanted to not have to make fire and thought that Lauren being Nora's number one would be brought to the final three. Unfortunately, It was one of the reasons why Nora said she had to make fire, because everybody liked Nora and everybody liked Tommy, too. But I think the fact that Nora had a stronger relationship with people speaks volumes of how great the game was that she was playing. Because look at Tommy. Everybody liked Tommy, and Tommy was everyone's number one. But Lauren would have given Tommy a run for his money. So that would have been incredibly impressive to see. Because if someone's going to outshine Tommy's social gameplay, wow. I mean, I really have to give her incredible props. for that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard anything from Lauren indicating that she felt she had to play up her game. I think people just realized she was more likely to win based on what she did and who was in the jury. Because, for example, Missy was a likely vote for Lauren because of their relationship. But Missy wasn't such an obvious vote for Tommy, at least Mm -hmm. from what we saw. I also think that Tommy pushed at the end for Nora in particular to fear Lauren more so that she would send Lauren to fire making.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's good. Good stuff. All right. Next question comes from Heather. If Janet hadn't told Tommy about her idol, which led Dean to see assume she had one, or if Tommy had told Janet about the nullifier, is there any way Janet makes it to the final four? I get the frustration at the nullifier taking Janet out, but there was some social game at work. too.
1: Yeah, I don't think any of that mattered. Um, Going back to something I said last week in Why Tommy Won, Janet told Mike Bloom, an idle nullifier with five people left is stupid. I didn't get taken out by gameplay. I got taken out by a coin flip. I even told Jeff that. With that few people left, no matter who that fifth person is or what they have, if there's a nullifier, they're done. And, you know, Dean knew everyone wanted Janet out. He didn't need any information from Tommy. He just could put the nullifier on Janet while he knew everyone was voting for Janet. And one way or another, she was going to get the boot.
2: Yeah, I mean, but the didn't he he saw her when she found the idol, too, right?
1: He saw he saw her showing something to Tommy.
2: Yeah. So that goes back to this whole. I get it. I understand people want to share information. And maybe she was, was she with Tommy when she found it?
1: No, she did share the information.
2: right, so that's, if you're going to go out and play Survivor. Just, no, don't share that information because it's just going to come back to bite you. Don't share.
1: Uh, Yeah, like I said a week ago, though, it does somewhat absolve her because Dean would have played that nullifier on her no matter
0: what.
2: Oh, and I'm sure he would have, but the difference would have been at least okay, we could go back to this whole. And it it got taken out at six. Right. Yeah. That issue. But if he doesn't know who has the idol, yes, he's going to play it on Janet just in case. But at the same time, Janet recognized too, that she should have never shared any information with Tommy. And, you know, that's in hindsight, you know, it's 2020, right? We all know that all of a sudden you see everything much more clear at that point. But if you are out there and you're playing this game, Don't tell anybody what you have. Just keep it a secret. Don't tell them because it just makes it so much easier for them to run around and tell everybody else.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: All right. Jack Brinkley asks, do you think that Tommy's win will cause future players to stray away from the feeling of needing to make a big move and play more conservatively?
2: I love that every time you say that, you say
1: big move. (laughs) Well, that's the way it's promoted. So.
2: Um, I hope so. Honestly, I really do hope so. Unfortunately, we have extinction island, whatever that thing is called, coming edge of coming, extinction. Edge of extinction. Back, yeah. yeah, it's coming back. So that's going to be a problem. But I do really hope that people recognize the significance of a really great socially played game as opposed to I found an idol. I played an idol. I, you know, found this other trinket and did this thing. Because Tommy really does represent how likability becomes a huge factor. And having so many options for a final three is very beneficial as well. I mean, so many people thought he was their, his number one gave him a lot of options and a lot of paths to the end. So I hope so. I I hope so. I don't know if that will happen, but I hope so.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I would love to think so, but we still have Jeff Probst in production pushing big moves so <laughs> you know i i think every season will probably have a few players who know better they just have to get back i'm sorry they just have to get past the big moves types and hope they don't constitute a big majority in the jury at the end
2: mm-hmm. yes okay tristan fernal asks Which rules did this cast excel in as a whole? And which rules did the cast have room for improvement with?
1: This cast certainly knew how to scheme and plot, probably because you know we discussed earlier so many of them were fans. But on the flip side, a lot of them did it too much and backstabbed too soon because guess what the answer is? They were looking for moves. Big moves. (laughs) Yes. So um, You know, so I, I would say, yeah, it was good job at rule one. Not so good job at rule two overall. That's the cast overall.
2: I agree with your assessment. That's my answer.
1: Oh, OK. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we have another question from Larry Miller here. Thank you, Larry. Well, it's it, uh, careful. I uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Does Edge of Extinction end result still sting now that we've heard interviews from numerous jury members?
2: Listen, Larry Miller. <laughs> he really, really knows I, how to. I got
1: bad news for you here. You may not be her favorite here. I
2: didn't, you know what? I appreciate the questions, but man, he really is delving into stuff I don't really care about. Um, I care about it, but I don't like it, I you guess.
1: Don't, you don't At, care to talk about it.
2: A, there we go. Edge of Extinction, we spent a lot of time talking about edge of extinction and our feelings on that uh so yeah i'm not yes it still stings i'm not very excited about the edge of extinction for 40 and yeah i mean i just i don't know i feel like edge of extinction has such an ability to affect the outcome of a game in a way that it should never be allowed to affect and i talked about this a lot Just this Mm -hmm. idea of the ability to converse with jury members in the way that we saw Chris being able to do and the effect that it clearly had on people on the jury and what he needed to do in that final three in order to win. So, yeah, there is definitely a sting there. And someone brought up an interesting point on Twitter, and I'm just going to bring this up here because there's this idea that, well, isn't the winner Spending time with jury members who are still in the game, like, doesn't that count for something? Well, that's different because at that point, everybody's still playing the game. And so your perception of how someone's playing and what this person is doing, you're worried about the effect it's going to have on your game as well when you're playing the game with them and then ending up on the jury. Whereas if you're someone who is on the jury and the potential that one of you is Going to come back into the game, it's a different relationship that you're forming and it's a different bond that you're creating because it's more about survival and the hope that you're going to come back in as opposed to, I want to beat that person. So I need to do everything I can to beat that person in the end. It's a different, just a different vibe and it's a different relationship. So, yeah, there's definitely this thing.
1: Well, yeah. And it also goes against what Jeff has always said the premise of the game is which is you have to vote people out and still earn their votes
2: uh-huh.
1: when you're in the game and voting them out. Yeah, they end up on the jury, but you may have helped them to get there. If right. you're on the jury with them, you're not voting them out and earning your votes. You're kissing their ass and earning their votes. <laughs> wow.
2: <laughs> I like it.
1: So, it's on and that's anybody that I, you know, I'm not specifying that to Chris. I'm like, whoever it would have been in that situation. Yeah, Um, so I will also answer it not only still sings, it still sucks, too. And I did not hear anything in those interviews that changed my mind in any way. A lot of rationalization.
2: Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. David's on a roll. He's on fire. Mm. Catherine Neen would like to know are there any players from earlier seasons that you would like to go back to reexamine with Jessica, why they lost one based on the refining of the rules and what we should have learned from seasons after theirs.
1: Yeah, This is a tough one because it's not really fair in my opinion, to judge past players on what happened in seasons after theirs. Mm. And, you know, survivor has been a building process. One might even say an evolution of sorts. Um, or an evolution of strategy. Uh but <laughs> um so you know, like can we go back to someone in season two and judge them on what happened this season? It's a different game. Now, we will be seeing Ethan play, not I mean, you know, and he's from a, a very early season. We'll see how he adjusts.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, think about Kelly. Kelly's a perfect person to talk about here. Uh, Kelly Kelly from Borneo. Okay. So original Kelly, original Kelly, original Kelly Wigglesworth. Uh, She was someone who played survivor before anybody knew what survivor was. And she played with the guy who actually created the idea of an alliance. Right. Mm -hmm. So her playing survivor was so raw and so new that, she's someone that we we actually got to see come back and play this new form of survivor this this new survivor game and she hated it i mean she actually said she's like you could take this new survivor and shove it basically she was like i don't i don't like this because it's not what it used to be it's it has evolved so much throughout the years and That newness that she experienced is clearly not what exists now because people have seen it. People study the game now. People know what the game is going to present. They know to have alliances. They know to join forces with people. And they know how to scheme and plot, which is not something that early on we saw a whole lot of because people were figuring it out. So, yeah, it's certainly not something that we can compare and contrast because it's changed so much. But I think Kelly is is someone that we can certainly look at and say, well, she's a perfect example of someone that's played old school versus new school, and she preferred old school.
1: Well, she didn't even prefer old school. She preferred no school because she preferred her version, which was kind of similar to Nora's version. Who works hardest? Who, does, who gets the most challenge wins? She didn't want to scheme and plot. And if she had ended up winning... Well, one, I don't think Survivor would still be on the air today, but two, we might be looking at a very, very different game. Oh, for Uh, sure. You know, and so, you know, it goes back to what I said last week when we were talking about Nora and not to keep rubbing it in on Nora, but, you know, Nora was saying, well, I don't like the way these people just concentrate on strategy, strategy, strategy. And my point was Richard Hatch, season one winner, Right. you know. And so yeah, she played a game that the way she thought it should be played then.
2: Right, Um, as did Richard. And you have to remember, what did that vote come down to?
1: Like one vote.
2: But it came down to choosing a number.
1: Yeah, I I don't believe that.
2: Well, listen, I'm just gonna say that's that's what it was we saw we saw the We
1: saw. However, okay, okay, go go ahead.
2: Here's the thing. OK, I'm just going to we when that final tribal council was happening, they mm-hmm. were showing everybody's votes except for the one vote that was based upon picking a number. I don't know, it was one through a thousand or ten thousand, something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the one vote we didn't see when everyone was actually making their votes. And then, you know, obviously, Jeff read the right. votes. So arguably at that point in time. The game wasn't about scheming and plotting necessarily. Half of the people wanted scheming and plotting. Half the people thought, you know, her gameplay was the way that Survivor should be. And one person said it should be about picking a number. But my point is, that was the game that was being played then because nobody knew how to play the game. Nobody knew what to look for. Nobody knew what to focus on. And now what people focus on is scheming and plotting versus the game that Kelly wanted to play way back in Borneo.
1: Yeah, and I, well, I would say it wasn't necessarily a comparison or contrast between Richard's strategic game and her uh, physical game, for lack of a better term, but rather that some people just didn't like Richard. And the idea of a social game really hadn't come into being yet.
2: Mm, And that's Um, true. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, but most of these rules were originally based on Richard's play. Mm hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, so going back, but, you know, the rules have changed over time. Um, you know, I, I have mentioned before, there did used to be a rule that said work hard around camp and, you know, feed those around you because some people did care about that. Now they don't. Nora, it doesn't matter how many coconuts you crack open. You're not going to win the game that way.
2: They are delicious Um, though.
1: Well, (laughs) just saying. (laughs) Okay. Um, but so anyway yeah that's you know that's where we are with that okay all right well um before we move on to questions about the next season and beyond let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors if there are any for your area if not we'll be back even quicker
0: No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: And we're back. So let's go on to a question from Addison. And that is throughout the recent ish seasons, we've seen the strategy of leaving in the quote unquote goats. So they will be an easy person to beat before or come final tribal council. With next season being all people who have won before, it's hard to imagine that there are going to be many, if any goats in the season. How do you think strat- the strategy around the end game is going to change for this season, if at all?
0: Uh,
2: so this is tough because I think that even the season I played, people had a very uh strong opinion early on who they wanted to sit next to in the final three, and it is a very hard thing to shy away from when you're out there because the idea of winning a million dollars becomes very uh Very desirous, right? So you want to sit next to people that you know you're going to beat. And so this idea that you can get away from carrying people is tough. It's really tough. I think for anybody who would be out there playing the game, I think as people watching, as viewers, you get frustrated because you don't necessarily want people to be carried. But I think that a player is going to have a very hard time with not carrying someone to the end. And I can, I'll use myself as an example Um, because David saved me. David clearly wanted to get me to the end because David knew sitting next to me, he's winning. I mean, David's going to beat anyone. Let's be honest, but me Mm -hmm. guaranteed he's going to beat because he can say, the only reason she's here is because I saved her with an idol. He wins. I knew that all day long. I knew I couldn't sit next to David for a lot of reasons, but especially that. So everybody has their reasons why they want to sit next to certain people. And that idea of I can beat this person becomes very nice to have that, you know, this idea that I know that I can beat this person. So I'm going to do everything I can to bring them to the end. So as a player, it's not a bad strategy. As a viewer, it's kind of shitty, really, because it's it's not as exciting. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say that because we don't want to see goats sit in the end we want to see people that have the ability to make an argument that actually is something that we can get behind, someone we can root for. We want to root for people. And it's unfortunate that this is how the game has developed. And I and that's why I'm going to go back to that final 2 idea because that final 2 concept causes the ability to get a goat to the end to be much more difficult because there's only two seats. There's not three. And there's not this fire making challenge. You're down to two. So it becomes much more difficult. I think in, in that type of situation to get that goat to the end with you, because that takes a lot more strategic maneuvering than a three or, you know, four fire making challenge.
1: Yeah. But if you do get a goat to final two, I mean, guaranteed winner, whereas at least, you know, it's, it's less difficult, less difficult, less easy. It's, More difficult. Let's do that. It's Mm -hmm. more difficult to get two goats to the end in a final three compared to just a single goat.
2: And that's true. So,
1: you know, um, but again, it goes back to also doing what's best for your game. You know, like you said, yeah, it's not great for viewers. Um, but you have to do what's best for your game. Now I I do think for season 40, we have to remember that most of the players are not part of the newer school of bringing along goats. Mm -hmm. Even someone like Wendell, who played very recently, he didn't really do that. Um, I mean, yes, he had Laurel, but he also, I mean, it it came down to a tiebreaker.
2: Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. Laurel
1: was the tiebreaker. Um, So certainly anyone uh, on the season will want to go to the end with people they can beat. But I just don't think we're going to see anything like this season of keeping in people starting from like the second or third vote just because they can be beaten at the end. Cause yeah. I don't know that there's anyone in this cast you can say that about.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it seems too soon, too early to be making that decision. Uh, and I think it is the one thing that everyone needs to keep in mind. If you are out there playing this game is that idea, which we heard being stated by people mm-hmm. that played the season She's taking a seat away from you. Like if if right. that's if you're OK with her staying, you have to remember that that's seat number three and there's only two other seats left. And I think that's the one thing that people seem to forget about is that that person is is taking a seat away from potentially you. So, you know, just think about that. if You want to make that decision really early on to keep someone on who you know you can be. But it's like tribal council number two. Lots can yeah. happen. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Including that person can turn on you and vote you out.
2: Exactly. (laughs) There's that. There is definitely that. All right. Now we have a question from Dat Chow. I'm interested in the vote out the weak, vote out the strong rule. And how would that be applied to an all winners season? Since all of the contestants are prior winners, who would be considered weak? (gasps) Ooh, I like this.
1: Well, I mean, it'll depend on the circumstances. It's possible some of the returning players will be weak in the early goings when it comes to, for example, challenges or tribal unity. Uh, For instance, Sandra may not exactly be a challenge beast. Uh, Tony may once again start running around and looking for idols, causing a rift in his tribe, and so on. Then again, there have been seasons when the players don't adhere to this part of the appendix, and we have to remember that overall, it's about voting with your long-term goals in mind and that the whole week strong, week strong is a guideline for the way things usually happen and should happen. A returnee season, especially an all winter one, could
0: depart from that.
2: Yeah, and the other thing too that you need to be mindful of here is I know CBS probably doesn't want to acknowledge this, but some of these people have known each other for a very long time. What? Very long <laughs> I know. Shocking, right? So I do think that that will have an effect on okay, season well, forty.
1: I think are we talking about video? that yet? Uh I mean there's a uh let's see here. That is <laughs> actually let let's hold off on that one. Okay, we'll and, hold off and, on that. Okay.
2: All right. We'll move on.
1: Okay. Um so uh let, let's move on to this question from Dave Baker. As Survivor enters its 40s, what would you like to see changed in the game and what should remain unchanged?
2: We really need to say this again. Uh, fire making at four, can we change that? To that, not,
1: fire making, to not
2: that? fire making at four? I, not you know, at four. I love Survivor so much and I love the ability to let people play the game and I just feel like this causes the gameplay to be taken away from people. I mean I, I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't like it. It it has just a negative effect on people's ability to just play the game. So I think that needs to go away. I also all right. I'm just gonna say this, okay? When I when idols first were a thing, when they first were out there, do you remember a time when people couldn't actually find them even with a clue? Because I do. I remember that time. I remember yeah. certain people looking And looking and looking and being unable to find an idol, even though they had a clue in their hand because they were hidden so incredibly well. Yeah. Now they're like dropped in a hole with like blue tape around it or blue, you know, like it's like a sign pointing going, I'm over here. Like, can we just get back to like actually hiding these damn things where people have to dig and get busted like digging because they're trying to find it and they come back dirty and everybody knows they were looking for an idol. Now it's like, I'm going to go look for coconuts. And, oh, gee, what's that in the stump? A blue wrapped piece of cloth. That must be an idol. Let's get back to hiding the things. So they're almost impossible. to find.
1: Yeah, I would say part of that is production. I mean, you know, we've heard that before, uh, for example, from Rick Evans, you know, where they would show him for 30 seconds and poof, he had an idol and he'd be like, I was out all day. I was out for 20 hours looking for that damn thing. And so I think part of it is they just don't want to show a 20-minute idol hunt. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they also don't want to show unsuccessful idol hunts. I, I think it, they just find it boring. Um, but that said, I, I think it will surprise exactly zero listeners that uh, fewer idols and advantages is a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that I just rewatched Korong. They had three idols in the season. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see. I believe that none of yeah none of them were played. Yeah. Neil took one with him when he was medevaced. Uh Scott left with one because Ty wouldn't give wouldn't give him the other idol to make a super idol. Mm-hmm. And then with the Joe Medevac, um, Ty was unable to play his because Joe was gone at five, so there yep. wasn't a tribal council. And of all the things you can say about Korong, I wasn't left thinking, "Gosh, I really wish there had been more idols." Yeah.
2: No, I completely agree. I 100% agree. There's too many so, idols. Too many. Yeah. I All appreciate right. idols. Well,
0: yeah. <laughs> One
1: in particular.
2: One in particular. But yeah, it's uh, there's just a lot. There's a lot of them. Right. All right. Let's see what's next. So, John John and Justin Freeberg pretty much asked Feinberg. the same question. Feinberg? Oh, Feinberg. I'm sorry. I added an, an R in there. Alright, so John John and Justin Feinberg asked, which Survivor winners are you excited to see? Who do you think got snubbed and who would you have liked them to replace? Ooh.
1: Yeah. Now, yeah. I, for reasons that are, should be clear, since I just mentioned the rules were based on him, I would have liked to see Richard Hatch play again. But I think it's pretty obvious why he isn't on this season and probably will never be uh, after what happened with him and Sue Hawk last time, especially after the season we just had. I mean, you know, he claims that it was nothing. She obviously says something very different and looking at it in today's light is, you know, very, very, very much different. Um, And, you know, maybe we should have all been looking at it in this light to begin with. I wasn't there. Uh, And, Mm -hmm. you know, we weren't given a full story on it, but no matter what it is, No way they could bring him back. Um, You know, if he had never done that, then I'd say him. Um, I I would love to see Brian Heideck play again. I would love to see Todd play again. I'd like to have seen Earl, Chris Doherty, and Cochran play again. But one problem is I can't point to any of the people who are in there and say they shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe swap in Brian Heideck for Ben. But I don't think Brian was ever a big producer favorite.
2: Yeah. Uh, what about Mike Holloway?
1: I really, have, I mean, you've got Ben. Mike was essentially Ben using uh, immunity wins. Um, I, I am not interested in seeing Mike again, personally.
2: Well, here's the thing. I mean. All of the people that they chose, there's a reason why they chose them, right? I mean, I, I have to agree with your Richard Hatch assessment. I do think that it would have been great to see the original back, but I get it. I understand there's issues that have come up this season mm-hmm. that probably made it more difficult for them. But I think Mike Holloway is very entertaining, and I do think that he he really had to fight to win. And so, yeah, he and Ben are very similar. Uh, so it would have been interesting to see them actually playing against each other because they both had such similar games. And I think the response to both of them is one that kind of created a divide. There was a lot of people that were angry mm-hmm. that Ben won. There was a lot of people that were angry Mike won and vice versa. People were happy, you know, so I think that that would have been a fun thing to watch too, to see that. And Mike's just such a great guy. It would have been fun. It would have been fun to root for Mike. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, and
1: who would he have replaced?
2: But that's the thing. I mean, I don't know anyone who should necessarily not be playing right. this season either. So it's that's very tough because I'm concerned with the newer winners because, like I said before, people know each other. So, I mean, it's I don't know if there's enough old school winners. But again, yeah, there's a reason to pick everybody who's there. I do think right. that there's a good reason to pick everybody who's there.
1: Yeah. All right. Just a couple left. Uh, South Jersey Pete asks, which would you prefer as a returnee season? Finalists with zero votes or pre merge boots?
2: Oh, jeez, <laughs> Do I need to answer this question?
1: Well, you actually already answered somewhat on Twitter, but you know.
2: Mm-hmm. I know it's. All right. I could say this. Um, there are finalists that didn't get any votes that I think were deserving of votes, but then there were also finalists that didn't get any votes that, yeah, that made sense. They didn't get any votes. uh, Because we discussed this idea of bringing two goats to the end versus one goat Mm -hmm. to the end. And sometimes the people who don't get any votes are, you know, one of the goats. And so I don't necessarily think that they should get another shot because you kind of had your shot, right? Like you made it to the final three and you didn't get any votes, but that's a tough call, right? Because sometimes the person who wins is just such an obvious winner that, you know what? The person who didn't get any votes necessarily shouldn't get discounted. But I do think that we've had a lot of people who have gone out pre-merge that, man, I'd love to see them play again. You know, they're like, they had a lot of potential, a lot of game left in them that we didn't get to see. So, I guess it really depends on the person. And I know that's, a, that's yeah. not a great answer, but I really do think that there are pre merge boots that left us all wanting more
0: mm-hmm.
2: because we are like, oh, that person, had, we could have seen so much. And sometimes it's a, it's a swap, you know, it's things that are outside of their control. Maybe there's an idle play. And so we get to miss out on that particular person who we had such great interest in and there was so much potential left. And then you've got the people who make it to the final three that everyone's like, well, that person's a goat. So it's tough. I mean, it really does depend on the person.
1: Yeah, I personally, I would say pre-merge overall, not singling out any one particular person. But overall, I would say pre-merge votes or pre-merge boots who looked like they could play well, but didn't get a chance for whatever reasons would be who I want to see back because Mm. zero vote finalists. They had their chance. They couldn't get it finished. But, you know, like you said, sometimes people who get voted out early, it's for little or no reason. And we discussed a couple of those earlier in this podcast. Um, It could have happened to you if it hadn't been for David's Idol. Right. You know, and and, you know, so that's why I would say the pre-merge people, because I feel like they went through casting. They were picked because they were interesting or at least some of them, not all of them, obviously. And something went awry. Mm-hmm. that was not necessarily within their control. Give them another shot. Yeah. Alright, last question.
2: Okay, so our final question comes from Josh Green. To me, any returning season has two things that can make or break a game. Past relationships and reputation heading in. Whose past relationships and reputation will come back to hurt them the most in season 40 and whose past relationships and reputation will come back to help them the most in season 40?
1: I think Rob and Amber will be the most hurt, specifically Rob. <laughs> uh, I expect him to be one of the first voted out. Uh, and now that could actually end up helping Amber um, because she won't be as much a target anymore. If Rob's gone, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think Sandra will be a target. I think Tony will be a target. And I think Tyson could be a target too. I don't think people will be too quick to vote out someone like Ethan because he's well liked in the community. He went through cancer. He, you know, all of that. I I just don't think anyone's going to be aiming for him right away.
2: Yeah. I do think that out of anyone who's had the most touches, if you will, on other survivors is Mm -hmm. Rob. I mean, Rob's really kind of all over the place. Right. And I mean, Sandra too, but I think, you know, Rob, Rob's got her on one season. So I do think that the Rob and Amber thing that obviously they're spouses. That's just, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but one of you is going home very soon, very early. Cause this is a season of all winners. And they know enough that Rob played that card once already. Right. And managed to get Amber to the end because he, you know, used his Rob gameplay, social proudness and, and managed to save her. And then, look, she won. So I think that they're going to be in, in, in a problematic spot, although they're spouses. So if one of them wins $2 million, who cares, right? <laughs> right. Know? The other one will be taken care of. So I do think that that's going to be tough. Uh, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see some people play who haven't had any really like actual game interaction with other players. And I hope that they kind of bond together. I think that would be an interesting thing to see, that they don't have any other... There's no overlap. They haven't played multiple seasons before. So, yeah, I mean, I think that for the most part, those past relationships of the people who played together could potentially negatively affect their game moving forward. But it could also benefit them, too, because they are going to know each other. There's going to be some bonding. And not only game relationships, but I mean, come on, we all know the survivor community, you kind of become a little bit of a family and you do things together and you hang out might have an effect on Mm -hmm. people in the game, too. And I know that CBS doesn't want to focus on that. They don't want to talk about that. But it's a thing. It's something that people need to be mindful of. So, you know, I do think that that's something that could affect how people play the game moving forward. For sure.
1: Yeah. And it gets back to what you were, you know, starting to suggest a couple questions ago, which is who does have relationships with whom, you mm-hmm. know, and and I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Sandra, there was a tweet about this and Sandra said, you know, basically, there ain't no such thing as friends when it comes to two million dollars. Well, yeah, but there is, too. You know, I mean, none of us could say, you know, if if you and I were playing Survivor. And then there was, uh, um, you know, some two other random people who we didn't really know. Well, who are you more likely to help?
0: Right. Mm -hmm.
1: Hopefully, me, not the absolutely. You know, um, that's what I'm helping you.
2: No, I'm Um, definitely helping you. (laughs) And then I'm cutting um, you at the end.
1: Ouch. (laughs) Um, And well, and even at the end, it comes down to the question of. You know, hey, I'm going to see these people a lot. I have mm-hmm. hung out with them. I have you know, I have had dinner with them. I have been at their houses. I have you know, who am I going to vote to give the 2 million to? Right. I'd like to think they vote to give it to the best player, to the person they most want to see crown the champion of champions.
2: Mhm.
1: I can't guarantee that, you know, there won't be more than that in play.
2: Yeah. Well, we and how about the see. fact how about the fact that Rob and Sandra have just spent what 38 days living yeah. together right before they have to play this game together? Right. I don't know. I, mean, I, it seems. I
1: suspect that one of them, if not both of them, will be gone before they're ever on the same tribe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, I don't have the, the tribe breakdown in front of me, which would be a spoiler anyway, but um, my suspicion is that the producers are smart enough to not put them on the same tribe, just like robin amber would not be on the same tribe um yes. but still that would mean sandra and amber are on the same tribe if it's a two tribe season which you would think it is because there's 20 so um now sandra and amber don't know each other but i'm sure rob told amber hey here's the deal work with sandra
2: yeah yeah no and that's all that is all true i do have the tribe breakdowns if you Curious.
1: well no we're doing non-spoiler here so
2: all right no spoilers but yes i i think that all of that is going to come into play there's so many things that when you play this game you you can't control and that unfortunately is one of the things you just can't control i mean right production can say to people don't don't talk to each other don't tell people that you're playing again you know, no scheming and plotting before the game starts. And, yeah, I mean, you can certainly say that. But even if none of that is going on, if you have some type of a former relationship with somebody, it's going to be in the back of your brain and you're going to think right. about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So maybe we'll have to add that to the rules. Scheme and plot for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Go back in time. Right. Um, so it will be one thing I did want to mention. It will be interesting. I suspect that the players, the winners from the older seasons will not want a newer winner to win.
2: Oh, I completely agree with you. That's I'm worried for Adam. 100%.
1: Adam, Nick, Wendell, Mm -hmm. you know, all of them. I think, um, yeah, I think they could uh, uh, be in trouble.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I agree with that assessment. 100%. Mm -hmm.
1: So, We'll get to that more when we do our preseason, uh, you know, look at all the players. Yes. So, but until then, as we wrap up for the decade, I uh, want to encourage people to check out two things that Rob has a website. I've mentioned these recently. The first is the RHAP link to Amazon and Walmart at Rob has website dot com slash shopping. And you may be saying, well, wait, David, you were talking about this when, you know, the holiday season was coming. And, well, it's the new year. but." Hey, if you got a bunch of gift cards like I did and you need to spend them, go to Rob dot com slash shopping and click on the appropriate store banner. Help support RHAP or, you know, do it anytime. It doesn't have to be for anything special. Also, if you've been listening to all the RHAP podcasts over the season or indeed the past decade uh, and would like to take your fandom one step further. Remember that you can become a patron. Rob has a website dot com slash patron. Rob does so many special things, including patron only podcasts. And so, you know, uh, I, I want to mention he is doing and again. This is for patrons only. He's doing his uh, monthly patron cast on New Year's Eve. And so this will uh, this will be the definitive last R.H.A.P. podcast. That's why I said ours will be the last Survivor podcast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but again, only for patrons. Uh, He also, there's going to be four live shows uh, this season and first access to those tickets goes to patrons. So, and you get discounts. So there's a lot of that.
2: Yeah. Uh, Just be mindful. Wait, I have to throw this in there. If they want to actually play survivor, what have we been talking about? Super fans. These people are super fans. Those patrons are absolute super fans. So I'm just saying, if you're interested in actually being on the show at some point, it's not a bad idea to become a patron.
1: That's right. We've had several. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, uh, and of course, you can talk to uh, some of them uh, or the future future contestants on the Facebook groups about Survivor, Big Brother, etc. Uh, so, and, and in fact, a number of the questions for this podcast came from the Facebook group. So, remember to go to website dot com slash shopping and also website dot com slash patron. And once you get to the Facebook groups, make sure to say hello.
2: Yes, please do. And it is a fun group of people who obviously love this show. They love reality television in general, but Survivor specifically. So, yes, it's a great group of people to talk about the show with and talk about strategy or just your thoughts in general. And also, if you are interested in Twitter, which I hope you are, you should definitely mm. follow me at Jessica Lewis 89 and David Bloomberg is at David Bloomberg. Follow us both to get both sides of the conversation. You can see all of the wonderful selfies that David posts like all the time. It's really oh, all the time. All the time. It's a lot it's
1: overwhelming. Isn't it? <laughs> it
2: is so overwhelming, but it's so much fun. So you should definitely follow us both. I would love to say that, you know, we live tweet all of the episodes, but now they're done. Until we get to season 40, and we will definitely be live tweeting. So you get to watch that as well and be involved in that conversation. So I am at Jessica Lewis 89 and he is at David Bloomberg.
1: All right. Do you have any hashtag ideas?
2: Ooh, hashtag ideas. Ugh, that's tough. Um, well, you know what we should do? Because this would be funny. Sorry. I'm I'm giggling to myself in my head. But it should that be makes for
1: great podcasting, by the way.
2: I know. Right. Hashtag Larry Miller. Because <laughs> <laughs> Larry really no, brought it.
1: He did. But I don't want to put a poor guy on blast.
2: I know. But Larry, uh, I love good. you. I think it's, it's, good good it's great. Yes. I think hashtag Larry Miller would be really funny. But that's the one I came up with. So I don't
1: know, David. Uh, I can't I, I can't advocate for hashtagging somebody. You know, okay, just, Twitter okay. Twitter can be cruel.
2: It can be cruel, but it would be funny. So um how, how about
1: yeah. we uh, just look ahead and we look forward to 40.
2: Okay, I like that.
1: All right. So hashtag forward to 40. And of course Forward to 40. To, That's good. Yeah. Uh the, the hashtag for this podcast overall, YX Lost. Uh, before we finish, I do want to remind everyone we didn't mention it earlier because we are down to the you know last last ones here. Uh, the uh, the rules poster uh, that we discuss on every podcast, uh, and you can go to tinyurlcom poster for that. Also, make sure you're subscribed to all the RHAP Survivor podcasts at robhasapodcast.com/survivor or on your favorite podcatcher. We are also on the reality TV rehab Up feed. And in both places, as the new season arrives, you'll find great content like the Know It Alls this week in Survivor, the B and B. You know, make sure you're signed up so that when the the pre show stuff starts coming out, which I can tell you, there's already work being done. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, it'll, you'll get it automatically. And then there's also going to be coverage on reality TV or half-ups, I believe it may also be on the general. Rob has a podcast feed on the circle that was the name of the show i couldn't remember last week and so there will be coverage on that that show comes on netflix uh on january 1st so you know make sure you are subscribing to all of the podcasts
2: yes please do
1: all right so with that i think we should uh say our say our thanks this is not thanksgiving it's new year uh, thanks to Scott St. Pierre for all of the editing, even over the holidays on the Why Blank Loss podcast. Thanks to Will from America for our theme song. And thanks to you, Jessica, not just for a great episode, but a whole season of great episodes. I'd say a whole decade, but we haven't been podcasting together for a whole decade. I but know part of the decade. Um, so thank you.
2: Well, it has been wonderful. And thank you. And I do really appreciate your willingness to allow me to come back every time that we've been doing this together. It's always incredibly fun. Thank you to the listeners for supporting us and for listening to us rant about the show as much as we do. It's really incredible to have you all listening. And it's really incredible to be part of such a wonderful thing. I really think that our half is great. I think everything that is out there is great and the fact that I'm part of it's just really it's really humbling so thank you so thank you David and thank you to the listeners and yeah we'll be back for season 40.
1: Alright well happy new year to you and all our listeners uh, it'll be really just a few weeks uh, before we uh, have our winners at war preview show so we'll see you all then
0: Bye survivor and you're feeling down David and Jessica will turn it around They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how You played yourself and got voted out This is why Blank Lost This is why Blank Lost Ooh, Baby, this is why Blank Lost